Good morning, Discovery. Welcome. Happy hour of sleep that hopefully we all got. That's the one thing I love about daylight savings time is the extra hour of sleep. I theoretically, right? It depends if you have kids. My kid doesn't do that. But um, stand and join us as we worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords this morning. Amen. It's the sound of the Savior's robe as he walks into the room where people pray, where we hear praises he hears. The sound of the Savior's robe as he walks into the room where people pray, where we hear worship he Happy Daylight Savings. (laughs) 
And I heard, I think, in uh, our earlier service, our meeting beforehand, uh, that you guys get extra gold stars for being here because there's a Seahawks game that's starting right now. So good job, everybody. <laughs> We're so glad that you're here with us today. My name is Star. I get to be your host this morning. And I'm just glad to see your faces this morning. It's November. Are you ready for this? November's here. I'm excited. Yeah. And it's a little warmer than maybe last week in, inside. So that's a good thing. This is a good day to be here. I'd like to turn your guys' attention to uh, your worship folder if you have one. You guys, November's here, holidays are here, and we've got a lot of fun things going on. I just want to point your attention to them because I'm not going to go through all of them with you because there's just too much good stuff in there. So make sure to check that out. But I am going to point your attention to a few things, um, mainly that, let's see, uh, missions month. November's missions month here. It's a dear, dear month for discovery. We get to celebrate all that God has done in and through our church and in and through the world because of the partnerships that we've made. And specifically, we have missions week coming up. So that'll be uh, both the 12th and the 19th, I believe. Yeah. And um, we're going to celebrate all the ways that God is working. Also, we have a daily email that we're sending out as part of that missions week. It's a daily devotional that is really more um, kind of turned towards mission mindedness. So if you'd like to do that with us together as a corporate body, uh, you can sign up for that in the lobby. If you already are a missions giver, then I think that you're going to be automatically signed up, so you already get that email. But it's a great way for us to celebrate missions together as a corporate body as we prepare our hearts for Missions Month this month. So be looking for that. Also, next week we have a special visit from Deborah Garcia of Eternal Anchor. That's the mission that we help partner with in Mexico, so we're excited to see her next week as well. Okay, there's a couple other things in there. Um, we already talked a little bit about the IF gathering um, earlier in our live stream, but it's in there, ladies, and it's coming up next Saturday, so don't miss out. There's a little flyer to remind you. You can stick it on your fridge and just come and be a part of that next week. All right, well, there's a few things that we get to do today, right? We get to continue worshiping together. We get to start a new sermon series called Tomato Tomato, and it's about um, when we don't get along right? Trying to get along or getting along when we really don't get along. And so I think this is going to be a timely topic that we get to discuss and go through together in, in our culture that's a, a little more polarized than we probably are used to in the past. And so this is a valuable time to be here. And this is a great week to be here because we have our guest teacher, our youth pastor, Jesse, is going to be speaking. So we get, yeah, we get, we get a wake up to Jesse this morning, get, a, get pumped up a little bit. So I'm excited that we're here together and get to join in that. After the message, we're going to continue worshiping with our giving back to God time. We'll sing a little more, we'll pray a little, and we'll just have a good time together. Yeah, so let's kick this off with some worship, shall we? Okay. Come on, church, will you stand again with us? Father, I'm so thankful for a Savior like Jesus who would come while I was still a sinner and die on my behalf and rise again. Thank you for the name of Jesus that we can call out, we can cry out. We can place every care and every burden on that name. Oh, there's a name that levels mountains and carves out highways through the sea and I've seen its power unravel battles right in front of me. Oh, there's a faith that stands defiant. It sends Goliath to its knees. And I've seen its praise unravel shackles right off my feet cause that's the power of your name just the mention makes a way giants fall and strongholds break and there is healing that's the power that I claim it's the same that rolled the grave there's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. Hey, 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 hey. No power like the name. 
There's a hope. There's a hope that calls out courage. And in the furnace unafraid. The kind of daring expectation that every prayer I ever made is on an empty grave. Cause that's the power of your name. Just a mention makes a way. Giants fall and strongholds break. And there is healing. That's the power that I claim. It's the same that rules the grave. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. Cause there's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, church. I see you taking ground. I see you taking ground. I see you press ahead. Your power is dangerous to the enemy's camp. Yeah. You still do miracles. You will do what you said. For you're the same God now as you've always been. Yes, he is. You I see you taking ground. Come on. I see you press ahead. Your power is dangerous to the enemy's camp. Hey! You still do miracles. You will do what you say. For you're the same God now as you've always been. Your spirit breaking out. Your kingdom moving in. Your victory claims the ground that the enemy had. You still do miracles. You will do what you said. For you're the same God now as you've always been. Cause that's the power of your name. Just a mention makes a way. Giants fall and strongholds break. And there is healing. That's the power that I claim. It's the same that rolls the grave. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. Cause there's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. There's no power like the mighty name of Jesus. God, we rejoice and we give thanks that there is no name on earth, in heaven, or in this world that compares to the name of Jesus. And in Psalm 27, David says, The one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And so, God, we come seeking you in your temple. And may we be like David, where we resolve that you are our only thing that we seek. May we be filled with resolve and hope beauty, that your glory, that your worthiness is the one thing that we seek in this life. And so we come, we ask Holy Spirit to come to our minds. God, may we receive your comfort today. We ask Holy Spirit to come into my heart. We receive your peace. We receive your peace. And we ask Holy Spirit to come to my soul we would receive the Father's love for us. We receive your love for us so that way we may seek you all the days of our life and that we would be content with just this one thing. Amen. Oh my life I will live
ages to the end of the ages i will sing of your love your love won't stop oh it runs like a river you have so freely given every piece of your heart I will lift up your praises to the end of the ages. I will sing of your love. Your love won't stop. Oh, it runs like a river. You have so freely given every piece of your heart. Oh, my life. I will lift up your praises to the end of the ages. I will sing. Oh, it runs like a river, you have so freely given every piece of your heart. Oh, his name is Jesus, mighty redeemer, my hope and my strength. Oh, I will never forget it from beginning to end. He's all that Jesus, mighty Redeemer, my hope and my strength. Oh, I will never forget from beginning to end. He's all that I want. Oh, His name is Jesus, mighty Redeemer, my hope and my strength. Oh, I will never forget it from beginning to end. He's all that I want. You are all that we want. So come, Holy Spirit, to our mind that we may receive your comfort. Come, Holy Spirit, to our heart that we may receive your peace. Come, Holy Spirit, to our soul that we may receive the Father's love for us. Because you are all that we could ever want and all that we could ever need. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah? I've broken this before, so I'm sliding it so I don't break it this time. Well, so it's daylight savings time. Um, I've been informed that I am allowed to preach for an hour longer today. So if Pastor John texted me this morning, he said, go get him, tiger. And I said, absolutely, sir. Um, I do have the pleasure. My name is Jesse. I hang out with our students. Um, give it up for your teenagers. Yeah. So often, we talk negatively about our kids, um, but I think it's important to highlight how amazing they are. You guys have amazing young people. Um, they show up, they uh, want to learn about God, and they're here when they could be anywhere else, sleeping in, right? But they're here. So uh, I love your teens. My name is Jesse. I have the pleasure of sharing with you today, and we are starting a brand new series called Tomato Tomato, right? How do we get along when we can't get along? Now, I don't know about you, but words are a funny thing, and based on where you grew up, right, will determine how you pronounce maybe something. And I've never met a tomato person. Have you ever met anybody that legitimately calls a tomato a tomato? I've, I've, I've never heard that. But just as a show of hands, how many of you in the room today are a caramel person? How many of you say caramel? Anybody? And who says caramel? Who says anybody caramel people in the building? Prayer team, look at those people. We're praying for them later. Because it's not caramel. It's caramel, right? Right? Um, I started working. I work for a nonprofit where we serve, uh, we serve foster care and, and youth at risk. And we had our annual auction. And as we were getting ready for it, someone was like, hey, we're going to have our 23rd annual gala. And I'm like, what's a gala? I know what a gala is. And uh, I just... I just let them say what they wanted to say. I didn't correct them. I'm like, okay, you guys want to call it a gala? We'll call it a gala. Like, not a big deal. And sometimes in life, 
uh, when we disagree with people, when there's division, we can agree to disagree, right? My wife and I, she's at home sick right now. Hi, honey. Um, we have a long-term disagreement that goes on the 15 years we've been married. And we've been unable to resolve this problem. And I'm going to uh, dump my counseling session on you right now. Um, our long-term disagreement is when she tells me to hang a picture at eye level, we disagree <laughs> on what that means, right? Because she's down here, and I'm not the tallest man on earth, but I'm like, whose eye level are we talking about? Is it my eye level? Is it your eye level? There's feet in between those eye levels, and how do we resolve this? We're just going to have to disagree to disagree. Now, there are other issues in culture that are a little bit harder to say, let's agree to disagree. Um, we live in what people say is a divided time. You watch the news, you go on social media, and you will hear about uh, the, the distance between Americans, right? That there is such a divide between us as people that surely there's no way to bridge the gap. And to be completely honest, um, that rhetoric, that kind of conversation, it kind of frustrates me because it kind of pretends like this is the only divided time in human history, right? Like, was the civil rights movement, was that not a divided time in America? Yeah, it was pretty divided. Like, we had a literal civil war. Like, that's a little bit divided, right? Like, there's some division in our country, and there has been in the world for as long as people have been around. Uh, I think the thing that's changed, though, is that with the advent of social media and the internet and all of these different things, it's just it's right in our face all the time. People that have different opinions than us, uh, there's a uh, cancel culture, people call it. There's all these different things in the water that make us divide from each other. And this is no different today as it was in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, there was deep political, sociological, socioeconomic divisions in the culture in which Jesus was uh, healing and teaching and preaching. And so he has something to say about this moment in our culture. How do we get along with people who we don't get along with? Um, because I don't know if you know this, but in this room, there are people who vote every single way. There are people that believe all different topics. And we are called to come together as a community and be a family. Now, with Thanksgiving coming up, those family talks can be challenging. And they can be challenging in here as well. But there is a desire that God has for us to see each other the way that he intends us to see each other. Um, so today, the title of the message is A God-Shaped Lens. How do we see each other in a God-shaped way? How do we get past the blurriness of uh, ideologies and politics and actually see each other in the way that God intends us to? If you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11. We're starting in verse 14. As you find it there, there's, I had a friend growing up, as you find it, I had a friend that pronounced McDonald's, McDonald's. You guys ever hear that? McDonald's? And uh, I questioned him on it one time, and he goes, do you call it a Big Mick or a Big Mac? And I said, fair enough. Fair enough. It's McDonald's from now on. Um, he convinced me. Luke chapter 11, verses four, verse 14, we're going to start there. Now he, Jesus, was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. Give me a sound of an amazed crowd. Oh, that was so good. That was so much better than you. Oh, my gosh. That extra hour of sleep is amazing. Uh, there's an amazed crowd. But some of them said, he drives out demons by Beelzebul, the, de the ruler of demons, and others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Right? So people are are, are amazed by what Jesus is doing. And some are like skeptical. Like, what, what is this thing? Right? And other people are like, I demand a sign. Like, you just saw, like, come on. Like, what, what more do you need? Right? Like, we just saw it. But uh, our first point today is a united community is an amazed community. I want you just for a second to think about the last moment you were truly amazed at something. You saw something, you see something, and it takes your breath away. Your jaw hits the floor. Think about it. When's the last time you were amazed? Right? I think about when my kids were born, right? When I hold one of my 
baby is in my arms. Like, there's a, a feeling of amazement. I think about when I'm at the dump in Puyallup, and I see the Mount Rainier. Like, that's the best view of Mount Rainier in all of Pierce County, the dump. And you, on a clear day, like, it's real. If you've never been to the dump in Puyallup and seen Mount Rainier on a clear day, it's like, whoa, right? Like, when's the last time you were amazed? I think uh, an amazed community is a united community. This crowd was united in their amazement of Jesus. This crowd saw what Jesus was doing, and they were united in understanding that this was something different. This was something out of the ordinary. This is something transformative that is happening. This is something uh, incredible. But there were some. There was a few. There were some skeptics. There were some voices in the crowd. And oftentimes, the greatest voices of division are usually the smallest voices. It's the fewest number of people that usually are pointing to division saying, we need to split up over this. We need to separate over this. So I'm going to tell you something about myself, and this will either tell you a lot or nothing about me. When I was a kid, I really wanted to be a magician. You could see that. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Really wanted to be a musician. And uh, it just so happened that a family friend of ours was a, this is a real thing, he was a professional magician. I didn't know they exist either, but he was. He did birthday parties, he made a living doing it, and uh, I was like, man, I want to study under magician Randy. And uh, <laughs> this is his name. And so I would go over to Randy's house, and I would do yard work for him. And as payment for the yard work, he would teach me magic magic tricks. And I started doing this when I was young, when I was like eight or nine. And so I would go over to Randy's house, I'd pull weeds for a couple hours, and then instead of paying me $20, like I should have unionized at this point, um, instead of paying me, he was like, do you want to learn a magic trick? I'm like, yes. And I remember being a kid. And if you remember being a kid, when you see a card trick, or you see something with ropes, you see this magic trick, you're like, whoa, every single time. Like, you ever take a kid's nose away from them and do, like, I got your nose? They're not smart, right? And they're like, he has my nose, right? And, like, I remember I would sit there with Magician Randy, and he would show me a trick, and I would just be like, it's real. I'm amazed. I'm shocked. I don't know how this works. And he'd show me again. I'm like, I still don't get it. And finally, he'd be like, do you want to learn? I'd be like, yes, I want to I learn how this magic trick is done. And he would show me, and I was like, oh, it's so cool. And what happened is over the course of years, I was now a young wizard myself. And uh, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm now 14 or 15, and magic is not as cool, but for some reason, still doing it. And I go over there, and he's showing me tricks. And no longer am I amazed, because I'm expecting the trick. I'm really just saying, get it over with so I can learn how to do it, right? The enchantment has gone because I'm just waiting for the trick. I, want, I just want to know how it's done, right? Because I don't believe in that kind of magic anymore. I don't believe in this amazing thing anymore. I just want, how does it work? And this is what happens in our communities. I, I think we forget that every person in here is amazing. Every single one of you is amazing, not because of anything that you've done, but because of the work that God is doing in you. Right? I should be able to look at every single one of you. I should be able to look at Brad and say, Brad, you're amazing. Not because Brad's amazing. Like, I know Brad. Brad's not that amazing. But <laughs> it's true. But I've known Brad for 12, for a long time, 15 years, 16 years. And the journey that Brad's been on, the, from, from the teenager to the man, from the guy struggling with who he was to now being a father and a husband to serving well, to loving people, the type of person he is, I'm amazed by him because God is doing a work in him. And we look around this room and we should look at each other through that lens. The, the idea that God is doing a work amongst us, that we are not where we want to be but we're past the start, like that's a beautiful thing. And yet we forget it, and we become skeptical of each other, and we question motives. And when someone comes in, we look at them, and we don't look at them in that same way anymore. And there's something about that skepticism that I think is born out of hurt, right? 
We've, we've put our trust in the people and they've let us down. We've, we've assumed that someone's motive was good, but the motive was actually bad. But there's something about recognizing in this community that God is doing a great work in every single one of us. Uh, Paul in Ephesians, he makes it very clear that our enemy in this world is not each other, right? If you believe something different than me, if you are on a different side than me, my enemy is not a person that believes differently than me. In Ephesians chapter 6, he says this, Finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heaven. We, we, my enemy is not you. My enemy is not someone that votes differently than me. Jesus' enemy is not these people that are questioning him. Jesus didn't cast out these people that are questioning him. He cast out a demon. He cast out a spiritual force. And so when we come together to recognize that we are on the same side, we are, we are against a cosmic force that wants to oppress and destroy us, and it's only by Jesus that we come together in this community called the church. It's the loudest voices. I think the... Thank you. Um, I think the world is suspicious of hope. I think that we have a lack of hope in our world, and I think people are looking for hope, but we are suspicious of it, right? We have politicians that sell hope as a vision for, um, for freedom, and it's through politics, right? We have uh, jobs. You know, for me growing up as a millennial, um, it was college. Go to college, and college is your hope. Go to college, you'll get your degree, you'll get a perfect job, and life will be great, right? And when I look at our kids, I look at our uh, Gen Z, if you will, they are cynical, and they don't see everything we've been selling, college and all this stuff, it is not a path forward for them, because they're looking at 8% interest rates and million-dollar houses on the east side of Tacoma, and they're saying, I'm never buying a house. There's a lack of hope in our world. And when we bring that hope, when we talk about Jesus, people are like, that's that's it? But here he is. We must actively reject the voices uh, that are causing us to be skeptical. They're causing us to be suspicious of each other. Um, I have a kindergartner and I have a sixth grader, and so when I pick them up from school, I get to get a highlight of the difference between a kindergartner and a sixth grader. And the thing about my kindergartner, Grayson, is everybody is his friend. Everybody. I was like, how's your day? He was like, oh, I was hanging out with, and they got the weirdest names now, guys. If you have a kid, go hard. Like, give them a weird name, because they all got weird names. You don't have to be worried about it no more. Uh, he's like, yeah, I was hanging out with Gunner. I'm like, Gunner? Like, in 2023, we got Gunners out here? Like, that's, I don't know. Um, uh, he was like, I was hanging out with Gunner. These are, real, these are real names, by the way. He's like, I was hanging out with Gunner and Cappy. Cappy, and Alayla. I'm like, Alayla? And, uh, and he's like, yeah, and we're all friends, and we're all playing together, and he's just so excited to be in spaces with other people. And if you've ever seen a kindergartner talk to another kindergartner, they're face-to-face, right? And they're talking at the same time, and the spit's just going like, like that's why they're always sick, right? There's, and they're so excited, right? And I love it. Uh, his second day of school, he was like, Dad, someone bullied me. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. And the next day, I'm like, well, how'd it go? He goes, oh, we're best friends now. I'm like, great, right? He has such a short memory, right? And he's so amazed by the other kids that he's encountering. And then I pick up my sixth grader from school. It's different. And she's like, oh, my God, Dad. You, Sophia? Oh, I can't even believe that Sophia would. And I'm like, oh, let's pray for Sophia. I don't know. Like, I don't know how to handle this right? But there's a shift that happened from kindergarten to sixth grade, and I don't know what it is, but it's, it's here. And I'm like, can we fight against that here in this space? Can we fight against that urge to be skeptical and to hurt each other with our words and, and to divide over these petty things? Let's try. So Jesus continues. They've accused him of uh, being partners with Satan. Uh, they wanted more signs. And he says this, knowing their thoughts, because he's on his Charles Xavier thing, he told them, 
Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. I just want to stop right there. Uh, We've all heard this phrase before, house divided falls. We have phrases like divide and conquer. Have you guys ever heard that before, divide and conquer? Um, Divide and conquer is a political strategy, um, which I find super interesting. And it was used by the Roman Empire. It was uh, was done by Napoleon. Um, The United States of America has used this strategy. And what this is, is an empire would go into a community, right, So Rome would go into, for instance, they'd go into Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and they would pit people against each other. They would elevate one group of people, right, and put them in charge. They would divide them out from the rest of the people they were trying to conquer, and then they would create chaos and confusion to subjugate people, to keep them down. Uh, America did this in the Middle East with the Sunni and Shiite Muslims, We took one group of people and we elevated them over another to create division. It's a a political strategy that has been used for thousands of years. And I think that this same strategy is going on with those powers of darkness that we talk about. There is is an active force that is coming in here that wants to divide us. And so the best way to do that is to play up our preconceived notions about each other to point to our prejudices, to elevate one group over the other, right? And to divide us either through real or manufactured uh, division. And I just want to be aware of that today. I just want us to acknowledge that, that many of the things we divide over are small, are small. But Jesus... He says this in verse 18, if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul, and if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. So a little bit of cultural context. Jesus is not the only first century Jewish man casting out demons in Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and these regions. There are other traveling exorcists. And so Jesus is telling them, they're accusing Jesus of something. They're saying, Jesus, you're in league with the darkness. You're in league with something evil. And Jesus is saying, ah, your sons, the people on your side, they're casting out demons. So are you saying they're also in league with the powers of darkness? He's essentially accusing them of being hypocrites, right? He's just saying, you don't live up to the same standard that you're trying to hold me up to. This is textbook definition of hypocrisy. And our second point today is hypocrisy destroys unity. Hypocrisy destroys unity. I don't know if you guys uh, have ever read studies and likes. Who here likes data? Anybody like data? Like, yeah, some dorks. Um, again, words. Is it data or data? Who knows? Um, but if you like data, there's a uh, professor who he does studies on religion, and he asks questions, and he, he accumulates his data, and he comes to conclusions based off of it. And uh, he asks people, you know, when they're leaving the church, people who have left the church, who were raised in it, they're gone away, and he asks them, what is the number one reason you have left the church? Do we have any guesses? Hypocrisy. That's actually a trick question. It's not hypocrisy. Uh, the number one reason why people leave the church is they move. It's true. They move away, and they don't get plugged back into a church. Like, it's, it's that simple. That's the number one reason. They leave a community. They get, they're at a new place, and they're just like, I don't want to join a new one. That's it. But down the list, hypocrisy does become one of those things. And specifically, uh, and this is just data, so don't email me, um, specifically when people cite why they left the church, it's the church's response to issues of LGBTQ and issues of uh, white evangelicals supporting uh, right-wing politics. Like, those are two issues that people point to and say, that's why I don't go to church anymore. Right? That's what the statistics say. And the reality is this, is I don't think either one of those issues are actually the issue. I think it all boils down to hypocrisy. Right? Because the reality is this. For a lot of years, the church has been really bad at not being hypocritical about uh, issues of sexuality and gender. 
Because what we've done is we've otherized a group of people and we don't hold ourselves to the same standard, right? We treat marriage and heterosexuality in the church different than we treat other people. And so when people are struggling, when they're saying, man, the church, LGBTQ issues, what they're really saying is, you're not consistent, church. You don't hold your people up to the same standard. And this is hard for us to sit with because we feel like we have truth on an issue, but if we don't handle that truth well, if we're not consistent with that truth, then what's going to happen? We lose our cultural credibility. And so that hypocrisy there, people are looking at it and they're saying, y'all ain't credible. Y'all been saying you hold to these standards, but when it comes to your own, you don't, you don't live there, right? Like, that's, that's a real thing that we struggle with. And so the question is, how can we not be hypocritical? How can we uh, to examine ourselves and say, man, I have some stuff going on in my life that I need to deal with, right, church? Like, we have stuff within these four walls that we need to handle, and we can't expect the world or culture to live up to Christian standards. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's the log spec scenario. It's what it is. I have a log in my eye, and I'm worried about the splinter in your eye, right? I'm so concerned with what you have going on, and I look ridiculous because I'm out here with a whole tree sticking out of my face. Like, that's the reality. That's the struggle. And the danger is this. Your kids see it. Your kids see it. My kids see it. You know how crazy it is that we will come to church on a Sunday and I'll get up here on stage and I'll say all this cool stuff about Jesus and I'll go home and yell at my kids? This is just me. I'm just talking about myself for a second. You know how crazy that is? No wonder we have kids walking away from church in droves. No wonder we have people looking at the hypocrisy of the church saying, I don't want anything to do with that. Is it their fault or is it our fault? G.K. Chesterton, in his uh, note, the speaker, he's right, he says this, the true hypocrite is the one who ceases to perceive his deception, the one who lies with sincerity. Many of us are so convinced that our way of thinking is right, We're so convinced that the way that we think things should go is the way things should go, that we believe a lie. We believe a lie about ourselves we believe a lie about other people, and we are sincere in it. We believe it. But come on, guys, we have to have an understanding that this hypocrisy thing, it is huge in our culture right now. We have to be people that hold to a standard for all, especially in these walls. As Christians, uh, we don't get the benefit of hating someone. We don't. Um, I learned a leadership principle when I was in my early 20s. A pastor, he taught me this. He said, um, as your leadership grows, your rights diminish, right? And it seems counterintuitive because you would think that if you're the boss, if you're the leader, you would have more rights. You would have more uh, ability and power to demand. You would have more strength in situations. But what he's actually saying, he's like, no, the higher up the food chain you get, the less you can actually do. And so we as Christians, if we're stepping into this space, we don't get to hate people. We don't get to. We we don't get to otherize people and say, those are those people and these are my people. We don't get to do that thing because I've lost that right. When I say yes to King Jesus, I say no to everything else. And part of being in this kingdom is saying, Man, I, I want everybody to be a part of this. I want everybody to be a brother or a sister. I want to recognize that everybody has what we call the image of God upon them. This is your $5 theological word for the day. You guys ready? Ontological. Ontological. What this word means is ontologically, at the basis of who we are, the very core of who we are, we are all made in the image of God. It's not something you earn. It's not a function of something you do. It is just by right of being born, being here on earth, you are made in the image of God. So before you are a dad, you are made in the image of God. Before you are a mom, you are made in the image of God. And if we were to have that God-shaped lens to recognize that just base status of every single person we encounter, how would our world be different? How would Christians be known if we all treated each other that we had that status? 
What would that mean in our communities? What would that mean in our worlds? This is probably my uh, favorite C.S. Lewis quote of all time. I'm going to share it with you today. This is from uh, his book, The Weight of Glory. It says this, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life as to ours is the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. That's good, right? Every person you encounter is approaching what we call eternity. They are immortal. And everything around us, this building, our political structures, our ideologies, they are temporary. They are as short as the life of a gnat to us. But every single person you encounter has infinite value in the eyes of God, made in that image. How do we live if that's true? How do we live if we recognize that this person is going to outlast everything else we see around us? We have honor and respect when we go to, like, memorials. You know, you go to, like, a memorial, and they're like, hey, don't ride on the rocks. And we will treat that with certain respect, but we don't treat people with the same type of respect we treat a rock. Like, you guys are amazing, and we should live with that kind of awe of each other. 1 John verse, uh, chapter 4 says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God who he has not seen. If you say you love God, but you hate someone else, you're a liar. You're a liar. Verse 20, Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Our last point today, Jesus invites us to be citizens of a new kingdom. Jesus is saying here, I heal by the finger of God, and that means the kingdom of God is upon you. I love this beautiful image. Um, Jesus is doing something that uh, they do a lot throughout the Bible. If you're familiar with Scripture, you will see that it rhymes oftentimes. And things that are said in the Old Testament will be repeated in the New Testament. And there's all these hyperlinks that go back and forth in Scripture, connecting different passages to each other. And so Jesus, by saying that I heal by the finger of God, he's pointing all the way back to Exodus chapter 8. Now, if you're familiar with Exodus, story of Moses, right? And Moses is trying to free his people from Egyptian rule. And in order to do that, God sends different plagues in order to coerce or convince Pharaoh to let, him go, let these people go. And what do they do as the song says? He doesn't let them go. He has a hard heart. And so in, uh, in Exodus chapter 8, verse 18, uh, Pharaoh, he tries to get his magicians to reproduce some of the plagues. Because he's like, there's no way these plagues are real. Like, let's just, let's try to do this thing ourselves. Let's see what we can do. And so they try to reproduce the plague of gnats, which like, on a scale of like 1 to 10, gnats probably isn't like the worst of the plagues, but like, it still sucks, right? Like, if you ever have gnats in your house, like, it's the worst. Um, And so this is what happens. Uh, The magicians tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. The gnats remained on people and animals. Uh, They said, this is the magicians. They said, this is the finger of God, they said to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So Jesus is saying, the same power, the same finger of God that freed us from Egypt is the same finger of God that is ushering in a new kingdom. Right? And it's this idea that this new kingdom, there is freedom in it. This kingdom right here is a kingdom we want all people to be a part of. And there is freedom. This is a source of hope. It's a source of unity. Like, there, where can you get 150 people in a room from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different histories, and get them pointed towards one thing and say, yeah, this thing matters to me. It's amazing what we do on a Sunday. It's amazing what we're doing right now. I want to, uh, can, I, can I trauma dump a little bit on you guys this morning? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Um, I want to share with you guys. This is kind of cool. So uh, this is a Bible. It's a really old Bible. 
This is my great-grandpa James's Bible. My great-grandpa James was a Baptist preacher, and uh, he, loved, he loved Jesus. Um, and if you could see, like, my dude went hard. You see all that blue? Like, that's just, that's just like notes. And the whole Bible's this way, just filled with uh, scribbles that I can't read because he's taking notes. And, and this Bible's beat up, right? Like, this is, a, this is a Bible that's been through it. This is a Bible that's been read. And if you're anything like me, you have family histories that are told to you. And some of it is true, and some of it is a little bit like mythology in your own family. Anybody have a family like that? Like, you talk to your grandma, and she tells you something, and you're like, mm, I don't know if it really went down that way, Right? And so that's my family. my family. Uh, my family tree has so many holes in it. It's a mess. But the story has always been that great-grandpa James, this Baptist preacher, was an amazing man of God. He served in World War II, came home, and then served in Seattle as a pastor for 40-plus years, loved God, loved his community. And there's a funny thing that happens in our family is great-grandpa James has kids. And great-grandpa James' kids, my grandpa, my great-aunt, my great-uncle, they fly off the handle. <laughs> Alcoholism, drug abuse, physical abuse, uh, they're like the worst type of people. And so I always had this cognitive dissonance, like, man, great-grandpa James was such a good pastor, was such a good man, was, he loved God. I mean, look at the scribbles in this thing. Look at this. This thing is torn up. It's got tape everywhere. Like, he loved people. He loved God. Why did all of his kids act crazy? Why did all his grandkids act crazy? Why do all of his great-grandkids act crazy? Like, my family is a mess. That's why they gave this to me. They're like, he's the only one. Like, he's the only one we could give this to. And so, it's like, what was going on? I want to show you this. Brad, can you come show me this? This is crazy, too. This is just, this is just more fun. This has nothing to do with the service. But who am I going to show this to? Uh, right? Like, I showed Bobby, right? Yeah, yeah. Is it upside down? Oh, yeah. Here we go. All right, so this is how serious my great-grandpa was about the Bible. He had a timeline of world events. So you could even see, like, if you guys didn't know, the world started in 4,506 B.C. And if you go all the way to the year 2000, he was pretty convinced that was going to be the end times. Uh, thank God he was wrong, right? Because we're here, like, let's go. Um, but I, I point this out, and if you're at home, don't screenshot this. This is not representative of Discovery's beliefs on the timeline of human history. Um, but if you see this, my man, he loved the Bible. I love the Bible, but I've never made a map of, of time, right? I love the Bible, but, like, my Bibles aren't falling apart like that. Thank you, Bradley. Like, I, I love Scripture. I love this type of thing. But, like, he loved the Bible. He loved God. He loved people. And I was sitting down with my mom a couple of years ago. Because my mom, she would go visit where Grandpa James when she was a kid, and she'd stay there for summers. And I remember talking to her, and I was like, man, it's, it's a shame. We had such this rich history of faith in our family. What happened? What happened? And my mom goes, well, when I would visit Great Grandpa James, he would say things like, I'm not racist, which, by the way, if anybody opens up a conversation like that, they're about to say something real racist. <laughs> And he would say things like, I'm not racist, but I'd never eat dinner with a black man. Right? It's pretty racist. It's like textbook definition racism. Um, my mom told me, well, he was, he was very verbally abusive, physically abusive. He beat the kids. Like, bad. Like, hospital bad. And when you're in, like, the 1950s and you're going to the hospital, like, it's bad, bad. And so I start to discover and, and uncover this thing that, like, man, this guy loved the Bible, but he hated people. It doesn't work. And the question I have to ask is, man, was my great-grandpa a liar? Because if I'm reading First John, he was. And so my prayer for this man, who I knew briefly as a child, is that he repented. My prayer for him is that he was able to uncover the hypocrisy in himself, that he was able to see other people through a God-shaped lens. But I don't know. I wish I could tell you that 
Man, he had a, a driving Miss Daisy moment. I, I wish I could tell you that he, he found a way to love other people, that, that he was able to see past the hate in his heart. But I don't, I don't know. And so the question is today is, where are we hypocrites? Who do you hate? Who do you strongly dislike? Do you work with them? Do they vote differently than you? Do they think differently than you? What are the things that you're dividing over? Is it worth it? And the largest question I ask today is, are you denying the image of God in someone else? Are you saying that, man, they can't possibly have the image of God because they vote this way? Because they look this way? Because they act this way? This is a question we should ask ourselves. Am I seeing people with that God-shaped lens? Am I able to remove the log from my eye so that I don't look foolish, so that I don't make myself a liar? Over the next couple weeks, we're going to look at how we do this. We're going to look at how can we love people that are different than us? How can we not divide? But right now, today, I want us to recognize that every person in here has ontological value at the base of who they are. They are made in the image of God And we cannot deny that. We cannot hate anybody. It is not a privilege or a right we have. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we come before you broken. We come before you recognizing our hypocrisy in so many ways. Recognizing that we fall short in so many ways. Recognizing that we need an amazing work done in us first. I pray that we would look around this room and we would recognize miracles in the lives of people around us. Miracles in people's marriages. Miracles that someone is here today. Recognize that, God, you are doing an amazing work in a community and it's not worth dividing over. I pray that we would not make ourselves out to be liars. That we would stand on truth and that we would recognize the inherent value and worth of every single person we encounter. I pray that at the end of the day, we would recognize that there is nothing, nothing that allows us to hate in Scripture. There's nothing that allows us to separate and otherize others. We thank you for the gift. We thank you that you didn't separate yourselves from us. That at the very core of the incarnation is you came and you lived and you walked amongst us. I pray that we do that in our world today. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are going to uh, move to a time of uh, bringing back to God. Uh, I say bringing back because we believe as Christians he's given us. So I'm not giving God anything. I'm just bringing back what he's already gave me. Um, If you are a guest today, feel no pressure to give. We just are glad you're here. Um, There is a connection card, though, that we would love to have you fill out. It allows us to update you, to tell you what we're doing, where we're going. It allows us to uh, pray for you if you have any prayer requests. And so please fill that out and allow that to be your offering today. Let's pray as the basket pass. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you allow us to give back. I thank you that you, you give so much to us. And just bringing back just a little is what we can do. And what we can do with our little is so much more um, together than what we can do separately. Thank you for that gift of partnering with us today. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to sing for a little bit, and um, you guys are welcome to sing with me. Um, As the baskets pass you, you're welcome to stand up. Um, I know it's kind of awkward to pass the basket, (laughs) or stand when the basket's going around, but it's, we're just going to praise the Lord through it. It's part of it. It's part of our worship. Um, But yeah, feel free to sing along and worship or pray however you need to. In the quiet. In the stillness I know that you are God In the secret of your presence I know there I am
folder. I want to remind you ladies, if you haven't been to If Gathering, or if you have, either way, come next Saturday. It's going to be fun. Just bring yourself. We've got coffee treats and great conversation for you. 
Also, this is your last opportunity to sign up for SHOES, if you haven't heard about that. That's the Marriage and Relationship Enrichment that's next Saturday evening as well. SHOES stands for Simple, Honest Opportunity for Encouragement and Support. Can we use more of that in our marriage? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. So, uh, also, Friendsgiving is coming up, and we want you guys to come. It'll be right after church, and we'll eat together, and we'll celebrate Thanksgiving and gratitude. So sign up for your favorite dish there. And you can also find all these opportunities in the, in the lobby. So sign up as you will. There's lots of great opportunities. Now that the weather is cold, we've got lots of cozy things to do together. I hope you guys have a great Sunday. I'm so thankful that you are here today. Go out and bless others and be unified.